Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, how life works. James. We're finishing James this morning. There should have been a collective. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. We'll fill that in. was so heartfelt. Uh, <laughs> it, it really is kind of uh, odd. Anytime we finish a book, it kind of feels like you're, you're uh, saying goodbye for a little while to a good friend. And like any good friend, James has been uh, encouraging and convicting at the same time. Uh, if you've been with us on this journey, you know James has had a lot to say about uh, being patient and steadfast and being humble and watching your mouth. In fact, a lot about the mouth. A lot. Um, yeah. It's tough. It is tough. For you and I, apparently Mac, it's not that big a struggle wow. because I'm wondering how much Mac's going to get to say today. Yeah. Um, watch what you say. That's why I'm in the middle. You, you watch yourself <laughs> down there. All right? Um, we... Um, <laughs> So if you, if you were to ask me what the book of James is about, what, what is this How Life Works uh, about, I would say this. Life works by walking in humble submission to the Word of God and living out what James calls the royal law. That, that's how life works. And James is kind of gotten under the hood of that and shown us what that looks like and what that means. And again, he has said a whole lot about the tongue. And uh, if you were with us last week, we got down to verse 11, and we're going to start today with 12. And 12 is going to feel like, man, it just doesn't fit with the rest of this. But trust us, it does. Uh, So I want to read, and then we're going to get to work here. Uh, Verse 12 of James chapter 5. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers... If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So James is wrapping up his letter here by being maybe uh, as pastoral as he's been in the entire letter. You can tell James cares about these people in these words. And... uh, it may seem funny to start with, uh, above all, do not swear by heaven or earth. Like, what does this mean? Yeah, Don't take an we oath. just kind of have to take a look at what he's trying to say here with an oath. Um, in Matthew 5, Jesus says the same thing. Very similar. Um, and condemning oaths and 
He's saying the same thing that James is saying, but then in Romans and 2 Corinthians, you see uh, both are two examples of oaths being taken in God's name. But by Paul. By Paul. So you, yep. you kind of have to ask the question, like, what, what is he trying to say here? Are oaths okay? Are they not okay? And I think we have to look at the Bible and let Scripture interpret Scripture. We have to see what James is saying here the centrality of it is we have to live out our lives with the truth in mind. Yeah. If the truth isn't at the center of our life, then we're missing it. And so we ask the question, why, why would somebody make an oath? When you ask that question, why would somebody make an oath? And it's usually because their word isn't good enough. I was about to say, why do you make oaths? Well, an oath means, (laughs) (laughs) an oath is simply tying your word to something else that has more value saying, hey, my word's not good enough, but I'm going to tie it to, people will often say, like, I swear on my grandma's grave. We've all heard that phrase before. They're tying their word to their grandma's grave, saying my word's not valuable enough, but this object is so holy that I wouldn't dare lie on that object because it would bring dishonor upon it. And so their word's not good enough. And the principle there is, They're not living out their lives with the truth in mind. And James wants every aspect of our life to be lived out with the truth. and Particularly our speech. Yeah, our speech as well. And I think this kind of played out in my own life as I was trying to think, how does this apply? What does this look like? And I thought back to an example about six months ago. I bought a house, and we'd been in that house maybe a week. And a certain person who shall rename nameless for their own protection, used the bathroom in this house. Um, and it didn't go down the toilet. Um, it started coming up through the bathtub. So you can see we have a problem here. Um, now, this couldn't be found on an inspection or anything, but you know that the person before oh, I, there, I they had I to know yes. what was happening. The, you mean the previous homeowner? Yes. And they didn't share they that with you? They did not share that with me. But so, your yes um, be yes and your no be no. Yeah, that's right. And so <laughs> through that, what, the reason that I share that with you is it is kind of a funny story, but also I think ahead, hey, five, six, seven years or whenever, if I try to sell this house, I, it would be fair or right that I, I really maybe shouldn't leave that out because I kind of oh, wow. wanted to sell, right? Because it, it's been temporarily fixed. We don't still have it there. Um, but the problem could come back up. Now, no pun. Now, no pun intended. No. <laughs> I please end this. <laughs> uh, thanks for catching that. Um, it could come back up, literally. But I think I have to see what James is saying here. Yeah, I, I need to share that information. And for you, I think you have to ask the question, in what ways am I not living out truth? I think you have to let the Holy Spirit convict you on different issues. We brought up a couple. Like, it could be something really small, like ordering water and getting a soft drink. Very small, simple, but at the root of it, you're kind of stealing. Or something like trading a ticket, and it's not actually your ticket, and you're not. Man, we just kind of have to ask those hard man, questions. you are throwing haymakers <laughs> right, this morning. But <laughs> that, isn't that what he's saying here? Let your yes be yes, and you're, allow me to quote the scriptures. I mean, I think you just have to decide, hey, in what ways am I not living out truth It, it is. It's been life? James' whole letter, just real practical. He's just saying, just tell the truth. 
Just let your word be mm-hmm. good enough so that you don't have to swear an oath. Mac, do you have anything to add to that fantastic yeah, that, illustration? Yeah, that was great. Uh, I was just going to say that while we were looking at this this week, it felt like this passage was a little out of place, like we were talking about earlier. Um, just talking about suffering and steadfastness and all that, and then it's like, above all, don't take oaths. Let your yes mean yes. But like y'all were saying, if you look back on this whole book, the tongue is spoken with a great amount of importance. And I think that if you look at the way you communicate and look at does your yes mean yes, does your no mean no on a day-to-day basis, if it does all the time, then your tongue, I would say, is pretty tame. Yes. So speech. And he moves from don't take oaths to a way that we should use our speech. Right? So he he says, he moves from don't take oaths, let your yes be yes, to um, is anyone among you suffering? Which seems ironic because the entire letter is written to people who are suffering. But he gives some instruction. If you are suffering, let him pray. Um, it's, It's one of those, it seems really simple, but I think sometimes our tendency is I'm suffering I need to find people to pray for me. And what James is saying, look, you need to pray for yourself, right? If you're in a situation where uh, you're facing trials or suffering, initially, James says, uh, if you're sick, pray. Um, There's a little bit here of uh, what's the value of prayer in your life, right? He says a lot about prayer. Yeah. Um, I think a couple, like, things that come to my mind when just talking about prayer is this is going to sound pretty legalistic to some of you but I think prayer should be planned prayer should be something that you set aside time for in your life to plan out and say I'm going to do this Um, a great example is with no wife if you were going to say hey I want to set aside time every single week for us to go on a date and spend time together all right, now what wife would come back and say, that is so legalistic that you would set aside time to do that. I don't want to do that with you. Any, any, any hands? No? No. Okay, no hands. See, but we do that kind of with prayer a lot. We're yeah. like, oh, I just want to let it flow out. And, this, and that should happen. We should pray throughout the day. I think we're supposed to pray without ceasing. But I think when you plan and set aside time to prayer, that takes that relationship with God to a new level because... I think through all of this, James is calling us to a deeper communion with God than we normally follow. Mm. For, for some reason, our, our Bible Belt culture has convinced us that if you just show up to church and follow some moral code and be a good person, that's what makes you a believer. And I think Je- this passage goes completely against that. It's saying, hey, it's not just about just following this code or, or doing these things. We all know that we're supposed to pray, right? If you've come here or if you've been around church at all, you know, hey, I'm supposed to pray. Yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to call elder. Yeah, I'm supposed to do all these things and sing. But we don't do it. And James is saying, you've got to come into a deeper communion, a deeper level of faith with God. And it's ultimately for our own good. Um, yes. Yeah. Like, uh, when we're faced, our, our, our reaction to life, as life comes to us, should always be to go to the Lord. It, when trouble comes, 
your mic. They're saying your mic. The green light's on. The green light's on. We're on. Are you plugged in? Yeah. Come here, let me have it. Let me take over while y'all are trying to figure this out. The, uh... Here's the reality. You, you figure out where someone's theology is when they pray. Hmm. Right? People, people can talk theology and doctrine all the time, but if you want to know where people are doctrinally, listen to them pray. If they pray. Right? It, it's kind of hard to sell the, uh, I believe God is sovereign, if you don't ever talk to him about anything. Mm. Right? In that case, you may believe you're sovereign. Um, prayer reveals theology and doctrine and what you believe. And, and um, this idea of praying when you suffer, uh, if you, I think about Jesus in the garden at Gethsemane, right? Um, he was at a point of suffering and under trial to where he is sweating blood, right? That's how hard he's praying. And um, the, the way Jesus prays is this. He, he actually says to the Father, because he knows what's coming, he says, will you please take this cup from me? Right? So if you're suffering, it's okay to ask God to remove that. But Jesus, Jesus says, take, it away, take the suffering away, but if you won't, let your will be done. Mm. And, and that... To me, that's how we need to approach praying in suffering. Like, ask God to take it away. Yeah, it, there we go. Okay, you're back. <laughs> Much better. Good to have you with us. <clears throat> so, welcome. I think an important thing to do is kind of examine how you respond to situations. When, when a time of trouble comes, does it immediately lead you to grow bitter towards the Lord or... Um, start questioning a lot of things, and also when there's a good season in your life, does it lead you to laziness and complacency towards the Lord? Hmm. Um, so I think you should question, are you going to the Lord when times of joy come and also when times of trouble come? Because that should always be our initial reaction. So if you're suffering, pray. Are you cheerful? Are you, is anybody, do we have any cheerful people in the room? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Look at y'all. Somebody I, over here. So is, we have is, is we got excited. the cheer, this is the cheerful side right here. These are my people right here. <laughs> I have so my daughter Abby, who's in the room, is a cheerful human being. If you are around her, this is one of the happiest people in the world. And you know what she does a lot? Sings. If you notice, cheerful people sing, right? I'm, I'm not so cheerful most of the time. I'm given to a little more dark cloud. Uh, like, like I would have been a great Old Testament prophet. Um, not, a lot of, wow. not a lot of cheer in the Old Testament prophets. That's all I'm saying. They just know, hey, someday the king's coming back. Until then, y'all going to die. Uh, <laughs> But Abby's not that way, and like she expresses it. And what James is saying is that, that the Christian life needs to have this rhythm of prayer and praise, mm. right? And I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. You can, you can be cheerful in the midst of suffering and sing. Uh, read the book of Acts, mm. right? 
Can we just talk about what, like, what praising God does for you? Like earlier when we were singing, Dustin just backed off for a second, and we were able to just hear Man. the people of God praising him, yeah. worshiping him. Um, I think, I forget who said it, uh, C.J. Mahaney calls prayer, I mean, sorry, calls praise take-home theology. That's good. That's good. It does something within your soul when you sing praises to God. It draws you close to him. And so if you're cheerful, sing. Yeah. I mean. So, so he's, again, we've talked about James having categories. So are you suffering? Pray. Are you cheerful? Sing. Are you sick? That's the next question. Then call the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So James is saying, look, if you're sick, you have the responsibility to call the elders. Now, there's nothing magical about the elders of the church, right? The, the power is in the praying and who they are praying to. Call the elders, have them pray over you. And then, um, so, so here we go. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. So... There's this idea that if that happens, you're going to get healed. Well, what happens when you don't get healed? When the cancer stays? What happens? There, there are some schools of thought that say, well, you just didn't have enough faith. Well, that's, that's not the Bible's estimation of what's happening there, right? Or maybe you've got sin in your life. Let's be clear. There is some sin that causes sickness, but not all of it. If you remember the, the, the blind guy that Jesus heals and the disciples, because there's this, there's this underlying uh, sort of belief that, uh, hey, he's blind. He must have sinned. They asked Jesus who sinned this man or his parents. And Jesus, you remember what Jesus' response was? Neither. But this happened so that you could see the glory of God. So, so the question then here is, what's, what is James saying? So the elders come, they anoint you with oil. What is, what is going on? Get the oils ready. Get the oils ready. But, oh, no. <laughs> no. We're not talking about oils. <laughs> All my essential oils people no. are like, get them, go get them, do it. Wow. <laughs> okay, I got nothing else. I, good. Keep going. Good. Here, here's, here's, what's, here's the reality, guys. Even if you get healed, it's temporary. Hmm. Think about it. Lazarus, if you, you remember when we were in John? Jesus calls him out of a tomb. That's a little better than a healing. Guess what? Lazarus still died. He, in, in the context of James, remember, they're under a lot of suffering. And, and if you go back up to verse 7 of chapter 5, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. The king is coming back, and he's going to set everything right. And the, so the question then is not are you going to be healed temporarily here, but are you, just, are you going to be healed in eternity? 
Because when he comes back, there are not going to be any antibiotics. Not, there's not going to be any more chemo. There are not going to be any more surgeons, no more doctors. Those people will be out of a job because when King Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom, there will be no more sickness, no more death. And sometimes when we pray for people to be healed, and we need to pray for people to be healed, believing that God will do it, sometimes when we pray like that, The kingdom of God explodes into our dark, broken world and shows us what's coming. That there is a king who has power over illness and death, and he is coming to make it right. So James is saying, look, we need to be a praying people. We need to pray for ourselves. We need to call the elders to pray over us. And then... He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. What do do we believe as a people about prayer? My my fear is that as the church in America, we are a prayerless people. We, we, We are so good at making things work without the Holy Spirit. Right? We don't, we, what kind of dependence do we have on God and the Spirit moving in and among us so that His name will be made great? Yeah, there, there's so much here on, on prayer um, and the power of it. And I think that James also hits another big thing right there at the beginning of verse 16. Therefore, what word is that? Confess. This audience participation part right here. Therefore, confess. confess. All right, so we're supposed to confess our sins to one another. We're supposed to pray with one another. We're supposed to sing praise with one another. There's a lot of community here in this passage that we can miss. Yeah, it's it's hard to obey the royal law in isolation. It is. Love your neighbor as yourself, but <laughs> yeah, if you're living by yourself, living by yourself, yeah. that's tough. But I think that community is a big thing that we often miss. If you don't have somebody in your life that you can go to and confess sin and say, "Hey, brother or hey, sister, I'm struggling with this," you need to have that. You need to to develop relationships like that. We need to be living in community amongst one another. We're going to get down to it uh, later on with with wandering. Um, But there's so much community through this passage that we can just miss. Yeah, and he gives an example that that at first brush, you may go, "Mm, what? Like he says, uh, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So pray. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now, can we just pause here for a moment? My oldest son is named Elijah because of the biblical story uh, in Kings, 1 Kings, about Elijah. Like, the prophet Elijah would have been uh, Batman. Just stick with me here, right? If young Jewish boys celebrated Halloween, everybody would have been dressed up like Elijah. 
Right? Here's why. Dude calls down fire after they soak an altar with water three times. Right? Calls down fire. He's, he's out in the desert and angels come feed him. He, he also talks trash. While he, he does, does trash <laughs> talk when he's calling down fire. He, he outruns a chariot. Right? He, uh, he prays and it doesn't rain for three years and six months. And then he prays and it rains again. Then when it's time for him to go home to heaven, he doesn't die. God sends a chariot down a flaming chariot and picks him up and takes him away. And, and James says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. I want to lean in and go, James, I don't think my resume is that good. <laughs> what is he getting at? Here's, here's where I think he's going. If you go to uh, 1 Kings 17, you don't have to go there, but just trust me, you'll read it later. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. The word of the Lord. All of Elijah's prayers are couched in that idea of the word of the Lord. Elijah doesn't say anything that he doesn't get from God. His dependence on God and God's word are what make his prayers powerful. He was a man with a nature like ours. I think what James is saying is Elijah's a jacked up broken mess just like you are but y'all know what he did mm. right so I, I think that's what uh, James is getting at when he uses the um, illustration of Elijah yeah. yeah it's encouraging because yeah it's it's saying that Elijah has the same nature that we have and that's saying that if we are as saturated in God's word as he was we're we're speaking his word in theory, we have the power to call down fire. Yes. I want that superpower. Same. <laughs> Let's keep moving on. Verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. When I first read this, can I say something? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I've never read this I've always seen this as if any of you in the church go out and basically rescue a lost person. Um, but it says, my brothers, if anyone among you, and this is written to Christians. So he's saying, if a brother, if another brother starts to wander, basically it's your responsibility to bring them back. So I didn't know if anybody else also kind of misinterpreted that, but um, that's a responsibility that we have. As believers, and going back to what you're talking about with community, you know, on the one hand, we need people that we can go to and bring our, our sin and confess to them, but also we need people who are going to be watching for us as we wander, because all of us are going to be tempted to wander in various ways. And raise your hand if you've wandered before. Hopefully every hand in the room <laughs> goes up, because we, we all have, and we, we all will. That's just a reality. We, we have a sin nature that goes against what this says. And we, we, we're prone to wander. That's why if we're living in isolation, we don't, we don't, when we don't have people around us to bring us back, right. that's, that's not the way that the Christian life is designed to live. And James is saying you have to live in community. You need to be confessing. You need to be praising one 
You need to be praising together. And, and when one of you wanders, go get him. Right. We, and, and the reality is the whole letter is a little bit like James going after people that are wandering. Mm-hmm. Right? These people, uh, it, remember, it's to, James is the pastor in Jerusalem. And if you go back to verse 1, remember where we started? To the 12 tribes in the dispersion. The, these are the people that scattered out of Jerusalem when persecution broke out. And James is writing them this letter and giving them all these uh, exhortations, if you will, to uh, be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Guard your speech. Don't show partiality. Meet the needs of other people. It's, it's James' way of, you may be about to wander, let me grab you and pull you back in here. The whole letter has really been a demonstration of what James is saying in these last two verses here. James, again, it is so pastoral in the end of this letter. James is saying, I, my brother, 15 times in this book, he uses the phrase brothers. This is, a, this is a man who cares about people. And ultimately, for James, it's not about keeping rules. It's, it's about people. It's about if you've got a brother drifting, go after them. Now, w- what happens if somebody's wandering and you say, you know what, I'm going to do what James says. I'm going to go after them. And they don't respond in a way that's favorable. I mean, I, I think we go back to Matthew 18, where Jesus gives us the illustration of what it's like to, to deal with conflict. Um, you, you, go, you go as one and say, hey, I see this. So what's the timeline on happening. that? What's the timeline? Because you uh, know somebody wants to know. How long? Like, let's say you, you wander. Like, how long do I give you? Like a week? Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> My wife would probably say like an hour. Um, <laughs> here, here, here's, the, here's where I'm trying to get at, right? We, we all want the checklist, right? We want an app, like a Wander app. Somebody work on that. Like, we want to be, we'll be able to go, all right, so uh, you're wandering. I'm going to give you uh, three days, right? That's not how life works. Remember our series, Life Works? You, this is where we got to be so dependent on the Holy Spirit and on prayer. We've got to love people so much that we're going to be in relationship with them. This idea of being in community is messy, right? And if you're in any kind of community, you know that. Because real community means you, you don't just get all the fun stuff, you get all the junk, right? You get all the broken ugliness where God gets to display his glory in it. And, and that's what it means to be in community. And so we, we have to be committed to the relationship. I, I once heard you say this. I don't know if, I, I don't know why. Some, often I just try to forget things you say. But, but you said, well, this was very profound. This is very is profound. You said, I would rather have the relationship than be right. And, and that... Preserving that I relationship. Usually don't live that way. You usually but, don't live. None of us do, to. right? And because here, here's the reality: we don't. We typically don't listen to learn. We listen to respond. And part of part of bringing somebody back is like, what's what's going on with you? Um, and and I think actually Elijah helps us 
if flip with me to First Kings. I want you to see this. The Batman of the Old Testament. Yes. You heard it here first. So, now I want to give you just, again, just to repeat this, because you may not be familiar with the story. There has been this showdown with the prophets of Baal, where they have for half a day chanted around an altar, cut themselves, and and Elijah literally trash talks, like old school Kevin Garnett trash talking. (laughs) If you know who that is you know. And finally, he gets up and says, all right, God, do your thing after they've soaked the altar. And, and fire comes down, burns up the, the sacrifice and all the water, and they kill all the prophets of Baal. So Elijah's done that. And then he goes to, he says to King Ahab, hey, uh, you, you might want to get ready because it's about to rain. Now, it hasn't rained in three and a half years. Elijah prays, it rains. Then he outruns a rainstorm in front of a chariot. If you think I'm making it up, go read it. Then word gets back in 19, chapter 19. Now, all of that has just happened. Chapter 19, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. This, Elijah's a bad dude. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah. Now, how crazy is this woman, right? She's just heard dude called down fire, killed all these prophets with the sword. This is what she says. So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them by tomorrow. So she's, she throws a threat at him. Look at his response. Now, this is the point where we expect Elijah to go, whoa, 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 hold up. What does he do? Look. Then he was afraid. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Verse 4. He's in the wilderness. He prays, asking that he might die. What? So then he's in a cave, right? Verse uh, 9. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord that's been in Elijah's life from the beginning. The word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are, what are you doing here, Elijah? What, what are you doing in this cave? And then Elijah gives his reason. This is why I'm in the cave. I, you know, all this stuff happened, and I'm the only one left, and you can hear almost the whining. Right? And God lets him say his peace. And he has him come out to the mouth of the cave where there's a fire and an earthquake, and God's not in any of that. And then he hears a whisper. Right? And the whisper says the same thing. What are, what are you doing here? Listen, chi- child of God, listen to me. If you are in a cave right now of sin or fear, what, whatever it is, God is saying to you this morning, what are you doing here? You, you don't belong in that cave. You belong to me. 
And he tells Elijah in verse 18, there, there's 7,000 people that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're not the only one. Do you, have you forgotten? Look, you're not the only one. Here's the cool thing. There was a better Elijah who went into a cave that looked a lot like a borrowed tomb where God the Father laid our sin and sickness and death on him. And Jesus came out of that tomb. And James tells us, I, I, I want you to see it again. This church, this, we need to live in the hope and the power of this. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Because when King Jesus comes back, he will judge the wicked, banish death and sickness forever, and vindicate the righteous. And that is anyone that has put their faith and hope and trust in Jesus and what he's done for us. Because you and I are just like Elijah. We live in fear. We think it's all about us. We look around and go, I can't, I got, I'm the only one. And God's like, you, you, you're not strong enough to, to bear the weight of this. But my son is. And so here, here as we end James this morning, listen to me. If you've been along on this ride for us through the book of James and you've heard all of this and you think it's about rules and about controlling your tongue, you're missing the whole point. The book of James is about Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus who lived the life we could not live and died the death we should have died so that you and I can rejoice at the coming of the King. Let me pray for us. Father, My hope is that somewhere this morning we said something that would encourage someone. And it would be foolish to think that in a room with this many people that we're all in the category of cheerful. There, there are suffering people in the room today, Lord. There are uh, sick people in the room. Lord, I pray we would be a people that get on our face and beg you to do what only you can do. Lord, I pray for those who are suffering. God, that you would remove the suffering, but nevertheless, your will be done in their life. Lord, I pray for those that are sick. I pray, God, you would heal them, but nevertheless, your will be done. And let them know that ultimately, someday they will be healed eternally. And God, there's hope in that. Lord, I pray for those that are wandering or those of us who may know someone who's wandered. You may need to give some of us the courage to go to a brother or sister and say, I'm worried about you. Lord, as, as James has commanded us, I pray you would let us be doers of the word and not just hearers. For the name, the fame, and the renown of King Jesus, we ask it. Amen.